0: I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 90 this morning. To Psalm 90. If you're in the Blue Pew Bible, I believe it's on page 496. Page 496. You know, in, uh, in John Calvin's Institute... For the Christian religion, he begins that, that big work, massive work, if you've, if you've seen it, usually comes in two volumes together, something like that. Uh, it's, it's large, it's his most famous work. Uh, but he begins that by saying that no one can look upon himself without immediately turning his thoughts to the contemplation of God in whom he lives and moves. And then he goes on to explain this by saying that our condition as fallen creatures in this world is such that we can never really understand ourselves. We can never understand our, our purpose in this world, what we're here for, what we are to be about, apart from the knowledge of God. And furthermore, we will never go there, we will never seek truly the knowledge of God unless we know something of ourselves and know our own misery and know our own need. So, you know, through and through, he's saying that there is a link between, a necessary link between God and our knowledge of God and therefore our understanding of ourselves such that we are completely blind as we walk through this world, as we live our lives, uh, if we don't have that true understanding of who God is. You know Psalm 90 that we're looking at this morning uh, helps to provide illumination on this topic, uh, both of who God is and of who we are and the condition that we are in in this world. Uh, and therefore... It helps us to see why this is true and what therefore we must do, how we must live. Uh, you know, this psalm, if you look at uh, Psalm 90, it stresses time and the passage of time, kind of through and through. It's it's uh, known for that. So if you'll just glance with me before we read it, uh, just notice all the, the terms and the phrases that have to do with... With time, there in verse one, it speaks about all generations and before the mountains were ever brought forth, and from everlasting to everlasting, you know, the, all these are are words having to do with time. And throughout uh, this psalm, the psalmist talks about days and length of days, and he talks about morning and evening, uh, and he talks about years and uh, portions. Of time with years, a thousand years, uh, he talks about it at one point he talks about the span of a person 's life, which interestingly, look back two thousand i 'm sorry this would have been uh, probably thirty five hundred years ago, but the length of a person person 's life talked about seventy, maybe by way of strength, eighty years, uh, so again, all the way through and through it 's talking about uh, or the psalmist is talking about this passage of time, and all of this is given to help us to understand our own lives and the time that we have been given. Uh, One more thing I'd like for us to notice before we read, uh, as we did last week, uh, look, and there is an important inscription that heads up this psalm right before verse 1. You'll see it there. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Uh, And... So just just to have that in mind, uh, some don't see the inscriptions that are provided as uh, as as being authoritative, as being a part of, of Scripture in, in the same way. Others do see it that way, but I think either way, these have been carried through uh, throughout the years and can be, I believe, relied upon. And so this says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, is the only psalm out of 150 that... Uh, has or claims to have Moses as its author. And so let's just keep that in mind uh, as we go through. You can tell it's got, therefore, a very early uh, date to it. So again, Psalm 90. I'm going to read the entire psalm. Uh, This is God's Word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank You for these words. We thank You that You have preserved them over all the years. And we thank You, Lord, that we can know that they are given for our building up, for our understanding, for the application to our lives. Yet we need wisdom, Lord. And so I pray this morning that you would give us wisdom, to open our eyes, open our hearts to be able to see, to understand, to receive. We do pray that where things are difficult, that you would make them clear to us and that you would, in the context of each of our own lives, Uh, that you would bring these words, this, your word, home to us. Uh, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, in in that ever-so-famous book that was written almost 500 years ago, it was written by uh, John Bunyan, uh, called Pilgrim's Progress. I it's often said that it's it's the second bestseller of all time behind the Bible. I don't know about the truth of that, but uh, a very important book. Uh, it shows this pilgrim on his journey as he as he journeys through life and through the Christian life, and and so rightly his name, if you know about the book, uh, his name was Christian. And there's one point in the book in which. Uh, he is shown several scenarios or several illustrations. Uh, It's as he is being taken through the interpreter's house. And he's shown these in order to help him to understand life in this world, the reality uh, as it truly is. And so in one of these uh, scenarios, Christian is, is led to a room and he's able to look down Uh, upon the room in which he sees a man uh, who is pacing back and forth and he has a a, a muck rake in his hand. Maybe some of you know what a muck rake is, but you can use your imagination. I think it's just sort of like a rake that we'd use to rake the yard. Uh, But it says of him that he was a man who could look no way but downward with a muck rake in his hands. Uh, now, it's not that he was otherwise outwardly restricted. It's just that his attention was focused on the muck that was at his feet and on what he was doing. And in, in what we see about the scenario, there was someone there who was holding over his head a celestial crown, offering to give him the crown in exchange for the muckrake. But the man didn't, didn't look up. He didn't notice the crown. Instead, he, he moved around the muck at his feet, seeking to, to meticulously rake out straw and bits of sticks. Now, the irony of this scenario was that as the man continued on, day after day, year after year, looking downward, he never took notice of the crown that was held within his reach. Uh, and continually being offered to him by Christ. And the interpretation, of course, was that this is a a man or woman of the flesh who is so enamored by the things of this world uh, so as to be completely blind to the riches, the incomparable riches of eternal life, so that he or she would never take hold of it. Uh, There's a failure to recognize. There's a failure to see reality. Uh, And this is the, you might want to call it, the the way of life for the unbeliever. But it's also something to be aware of, something to watch out for, uh, for the Christian. We need to make sure that as we live our lives, as we pe- face the passage of time, the, the months and the years, the days, that we see them from a right perspective, that we see the reality that God has given us. And so today's psalm, Psalm 90, is a prayer. And it's a prayer that the Lord would help us with just that, that he would orient our eyes so that it's not the, the muck uh, if you will, that's at our feet that takes our attention, our hearts, and our minds. Uh, but instead, we are brought, brought back to a place in which we see reality. Look at verse 1, Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, that right there, for the entire psalm, that's given, giving the reality That it's the Lord God who must be our dwelling place. He must be the eternal refuge of His people. That is the reorientation that the psalmist wants to bring throughout the psalm. A change of perspective. And if you think about it, that's what we need, isn't it? Uh, We all face the temptation, the strong temptation... When it comes to many different areas of our lives, it could be our jobs, the people that we surround ourselves with, uh, the entertainments that we bring into our lives, the, the goals that we set for ourselves and for our families, uh, for our children, the things that we choose to read and to watch, uh, and on and on. Our, our eyes are continually drawn down, aren't they? Uh, you know, I as I was thinking about this, I, I thought back years ago, 2007, I think it was July 29th or, or thereabouts, that uh, myself and Amy and Callie was small at that time, so she was with us. And we were standing in line uh, at an Apple store because they were just about to release the very first Apple phones, the I- iPhones. Uh, and if I had only known then, I had no idea what today would become what I believe is a symbol. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about data phones. I, I use them. Uh, they, they are very useful to us. But I think they, they do stand to encapsulate uh, this about our times. If you walk into a room and you see everybody's head downward, You know, focused upon this little box in their hand. It's, it's kind of a metaphor uh, for this heads drawn downward, unable to see uh, the, the glory of God. And So the question for us all the way through is, what is our perspective? What are we really about? Uh, where is our heart drawn? What are we after? Is the Lord God our dwelling place? You know, that's the psalmist concern here. Uh, and it should be ours as well. So uh, three three aspects uh, that we see in this prayer through which, if it's Moses, he's seeking uh, the Lord, seeking this right perspective. So first of all, uh, he gives us a right perspective on God. Secondly, he gives us a right perspective on man. And then finally, he gives us a result on that basis, a right desire for how to live. So first of all, right perspective on God. The psalmist begins his prayer inviting us to view ourselves and to view everything through the lens of who God is. Now for anyone who has a certainty inside about who God is, a biblical understanding, a biblical picture of who God is, then it's that understanding that must shape your view of Really, everything else, all of life, but especially your view of who you are, your view of what life is, your view of your purpose and that 's where the psalmist begins there in verse one again, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You can kind of imagine there, if this is Moses, him thinking back, you know maybe it 's at the end of his life, him thinking back uh, to those fathers of the faith, those who predated. Uh, the Israelites in their uh, in their encampment in uh, Egypt, back to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob uh, and to Joseph and all the fathers that followed, as he's basically saying, this this was our reality over all those generations. That you, O oh Lord, have been our dwelling place. You've been our our provider, our sustainer, our protector. Moses seems to be saying here, this has been true. Now make it true for us today, O Lord. Establish us, root us in our God. And then if you look at verse 2, he really gets here to the heart of the matter. Because he speaks about who God is and therefore how he's able to be their dwelling place. Verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You know, this is really, you could call it theology 101. This is an introduction to the question of who is God. And what it's pointing out, I think the, the first thing that, that really should hit us is that He was there before. Before. Before everything. Uh, if you go back to the very first words of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, what do we see? Uh, we often teach this to our, our kids. Uh, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. He existed. He was pre-existent. Uh, you know what this means? There's a big word that we use It is the aseity of God. And it means that God, unlike anything else, anyone else, is not dependent upon anything in all of creation. With everything else, as we saw before with the the prayer that I read, uh, with everything else, there is a, a cause that brings it about. But with God, there is no cause. That's why He is called at times the unmoved mover, because nothing was before him. And he is without change. And we're reminded here, I think, of that discussion that occurred in Exodus chapter 3 between Moses and the Lord when uh, the Lord came to Moses out of the burning bush and and told Moses to go and to take his people out of, out of uh, Egypt. And Moses replied to the Lord and said, But how can I do this? How will they listen to me? Who shall I tell them has sent me? Remember how God replied. He said, tell them that I am has sent you. Now, what what was he saying? He was saying, tell them that the, the only one who has the power of being in and of himself has sent you. The one from whom everything else came the one who, who was here before the beginning and who will always be here. you know What a statement for the people. Uh, this is the one who is the source and the reason for all that is such that everything else finds its purpose in Him. He is the one who created. He is the one who formed from everlasting to everlasting, the psalmist says. You are God. Now that's what he's communicating here. He is the one whom we stand before. here's the thing: you know when we come to know the Lord, when we come to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, there's a change that takes place within us. It must take place uh, and it takes place over time, and that is that His purposes become. Our purposes. His ways become more and more our ways. His desires become more and more our desires. The Lord causes us to see ourselves and to see the world around us completely differently than we did before. Think about how how was it before? How did we see the world before? Well, we were at the center of of everything. Uh, We were the ones who figured things out when it came to, you know, what is best for me? What is best for my family? Uh, it was all up to us. Uh, what is it that gets me ahead in this world? You know, that was the, the determining factor. Uh, what will ensure my children have the greatest advantage, uh, perhaps, for some people? You know, it's, if you think about it, it's all about the here and now. It's all about money and jobs and a contentedness at at this place in our lives, and how do we measure up against others? All of those things occupied our minds. But in the light of God, when we see God, when we know God, we've got a far greater reality that's looming before us, which means, it must mean, a complete shift in our priorities. Now we see that we have a purpose Uh, Our purpose is no longer about the muck that's at our feet. Our purpose is about something that's far greater. It's about how we have been made, how we have been designed. Uh, We are living in that light. But there's a problem here. What is the impetus for this? Why would we want these things for ourselves? You can see I I jumped ahead of ourselves just a little bit here. Uh, Rather than then those things, why would we want these things? That's the question, especially when these things, those things have a, a lot of temporary appeal to us. They're very attractive. Well, that takes us to the next section in Moses' prayer. Not only do we need a right perspective on God and who He is, we also need a right perspective on man. You know, remember how said that uh, Calvin in his beginning of the Institutes, how he said there, there is this link between God and our knowledge of God and our knowledge of man that must exist uh, in order for us to understand ourselves. So in light of who God is, now let's take a look at the reality of who we are. Look at verses 3 through beginning with verse 3. The psalmist says, you, it's speaking about the Lord, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. You know, Moses here pictures man's life as as kind of a circle. uh, That man comes from dust. We are all made of dust. And then he lives this Brief and temporary life. And then he returns to the dust from which he has been made. It's the brevity of life that is the focus here. You know, uh, Psalm 39.5 says this, Behold, you, O Lord, have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. You know, compare that to God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, that is the comparison that we are to see. You know, the, the psalmist continues in verse 4 to, to emphasize this, to draw it out. He says, For a thousand years in your sight, O Lord, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a, a watch in the night. You know, think about a thousand years. A thousand years for us. Is, is a long time. And it doesn't even approach it. it you know, the lifetime, the lifespan of a person is far, far less than that. Yet what this tells us is that to God, that thousand years which is so long to us is like, like a watch in the night. You know, a watch in the night in those days was three hours, a period of time during one night. Uh, this is what it is to God. Now, this is not merely making a statement about god 's experience of time that it 's different from ours, in that He experiences time much more quickly than we do know this is it 's using poetic language to say what we know from throughout scripture that God is above and He is outside of time He is not bound within time that he is Uh, Isaiah 46 declared, he declared the end from the beginning, yet we are bound within time. And what seems to us to be a long time, you can think about a child waiting for Christmas to come. Seems like it's forever before he gets here, but in reality, it is a brief time, it is fleeting. The reality is, and that's what this is emphasizing, that we are frail that we are momentary, that we are feeble. You know, verse 5 goes on to uh, give the imagery of a a flood that sweeps us away. You know, I, I think it's when it comes to natural disasters often that people begin to see the frailty of life when all of a sudden, all at once, many lives are swept away. He goes on to say that it's It's like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes, it's renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. Man is temporary. Man is here one moment and gone the next. But to see this and to really accept it means that, that we, that man, in all of his arrogance, must be humbled I think people live their lives without a thought about the inevitability of of death, uh, that it's coming, that it's just around the corner. Now surely you've seen this, Uh, maybe in yourself, certainly in others. There is an avoidance to even considering death to talking about it. That's why the author of Ecclesiastes touts that it's, it's of great value to attend a funeral. He says, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Why? Because in the house of mourning, it's virtually impossible to deny the reality that's set before us about our own death. You know, you've seen and you've known a person, whether you knew them closely or not. But they were were always there. You were able to to call upon them. Uh, You were able to Experience the uniqueness of their person if you so desired. But with a funeral, all of that has come to an end. You can't avoid the reality of your death, of their death. And therefore, it causes you to think about yourself. Uh, This is a, a time in which a person is brought face to face with the fact that life is fleeting that it's brief, and that you're helpless to truly do anything about it. So it uncovers a desperate need that neither you nor anyone else can remove. And that is that death is just around the corner. That's what this is bringing out. That's the reality of the condition that we're in. But there's something else that's here. uh, That mankind is in a far more desperate situation than is evident or is known by the masses of people that are out there. And again, this is something that must humble us when we come to any recognition of it. That's why the psalmist brings it out in his prayer. Look at verse 7 with me. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have said. Our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Right there, that's it. That's man's desperate situation. That is, that all are under the wrath of God because of sin. Whether it's open sin or secret sin. The secret sins are those that would be hidden away in the heart because others can't see them. You can think of hatred or lust or envy, but they're not hidden from God the one who must deal with sin. That's what we saw earlier out of our uh, confession of sin. Uh, the thoughts and intentions of the heart we read are discerned by God and no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. There's no hiding. As I go through that, do you feel something of the desperation, something of the agony that's there. Now that's exactly what we are to feel because that's what the psalmist is doing as he's, he's praying to the Lord, he's bringing out the reality of our own condition in this world. Now of course, God usually brings conviction of these things within the context of certain circumstances, difficult circumstances that help us to really internalize these truths. Uh, we don't know the circumstances with which uh, Moses was writing this or the psalmist was writing. But maybe in your own life you, can, you, you know certain circumstances that bring this to bear and that bring you to, to know and to understand your own condition uh, in this world. Maybe it's something that's weighed upon you for a long time. Maybe it's something that's, that's fresh and new in your life. But there is trouble in this life, trouble that helps us to see this reality. Uh, And the psalmist goes on to say that uh, where he talks about the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. And they are soon gone and we fly away. Life is brief. And the condition in which we live it is difficult. Now I know what your heart might be saying there. Uh, Might be saying... what. that can't be the case. Uh, this life is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be exciting. Happiness is what we are supposed to be about. That's what the world tells us. But the psalmist here is acknowledging before the Lord that the reality of man's condition in a fallen world is this. It's that our lives are fleeting or momentary and are brought to an end by His anger. That's the thing that people are so good at obscuring. Uh, Romans chapter 1 says that man suppresses the truth. This is especially true here. And so why? Why does the psalmist bring this out? If it's Moses, what is his goal here in this prayer? Is it just to make clear to us the misery of man's condition? The answer is no. Remember the man with a muck rake who was diligently raking the muck at his feet. His attention was upon it. The goal here is to remove the attraction of the muck and to replace that with the greater Reality, so that we elevate our heads and so that we are able to see and embrace and, and grab hold of the beauty of Christ and the crown of life that is offered to us. You know, we need a right perspective on God. We need a right perspective on man. And when we have that, the result is a right desire in how to live our lives. And that's what we see expressed beginning in verse 12 all the way through the end of the the psalm. We see Moses, he's making the request that that God grants to those who humble themselves before the Lord, to those who plead upon the mercies of Christ, uh, the only one who is able to remove the wrath of God. Keep in mind that what makes everything in verses 12 through 17 possible, this prayer that's prayed can only be the prayer of those who, out of an acceptance of who God is and an acceptance of who they are, humble themselves before the Lord and say, I'm in need. Please give to me that which you make available, this crown of righteousness. Those are the ones who pray this prayer now you can you can see that humility there in in verse 13 where there's a request for God to return and to gently deal with his people verse 13 return o lord how long have pity on your servants now this is a a cry for god's kindness a cry for god's mercy Uh, And then we we see further on kind of a reversal of man's condition uh, in these requests. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Satisfy us. Give us a sense of joy inside that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. In other words, for as many days as we have here upon this earth that remain Make us glad. Help us to have joy in You and in our dwelling in You. Notice it's a reversal of the condition of man that man finds himself in this world. And then also look, look back at verse 12. He says, So, and I take that to mean therefore, uh, he's making these requests on the basis of everything that's gone before. He says, So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You know, life may be brief. It may be fleeting. But when lived out in the presence of the Lord, when lived out of a knowledge of our God, when lived out in service to Him, that changes everything. Every single day, every moment becomes valuable. We are able to live it out with purpose. And we must make the most of it. It's no longer the muck at our feet that rules over our time and that makes decisions for how we live our lives. And so I would encourage us, all of us, but especially those here who are young, those who, and we pray this is true, who have many years ahead of you in your lives, make this your prayer. Look again at verse. 12, so teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. You know, Moses already spoke about how short our lives are here upon this earth. Maybe it's 70 years, maybe it's 80, and I know to those who are here and are young, that seems like forever, 70 or 80 years. Just talk to some who are older here, and you'll find it's not a long time. But what God desires and what He provides for is for us to make the most of every day, of every moment that we have as we live our lives in this world, as we dwell. Think back to that very first verse. Lord, You have been our dwelling place as we dwell in Him. That's what He calls us to. And look down now at the the last verse. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish... The work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In other words, grant us, O oh Lord, to be effective in the work that we do so that that work contributes toward eternity. You know, we just got to recognize here, and I, I think we always need to recognize the great difference between spending our time day after day engaged in the things of this world, the things that have no eternal value, that will not last, things that will pass away, as opposed to spending our our time and our energy and our hearts and our minds on that which will last, that which is eternal, taking God's Word, studying it, coming alongside of others, helping them uh, building relationships with others so that we have the opportunity to share in their lives, to share God's Word. Things that have the, the, the potential to impact souls and lives for eternity. You know, these, these words right here, and I'll, I'll finish, close with this. These words are from, from John Calvin. I find them to be especially helpful. He said, True believers alone who know the difference between this transitory state and a blessed eternity for which they were created, know what ought to be the aim of their life. No man, then, can regulate his life with a settled mind, but he who, knowing the end of it, that is to say, death itself, knowing the end of it, knowing ourselves, our condition in this world, is led to consider the great purposes of man's existence in this world, which is this, that he may aspire after the prize of the heavenly calling. After the prize of the heavenly calling. You know, through and through, what this is speaking about is living our lives in in a way in which we are dwelling we, we have the Lord as our dwelling place. We find Him as our protector, Him as our provider, Him as the one through whom we see everything else. That's what the call is here, and that's what the prayer is here. And that needs to be our own, uh, our own seeking and our own prayer uh, as well, that we would dwell together with Him the rest of our lives, and therefore, live out our lives, the days, the months, the years in accordance with His desires, in accordance with His will. Let that be our prayer. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank You for that which You have given us. As we think about the the days and the years of our own lives, no matter how old we are, no matter how much we have ahead of us, uh, Lord, thank You. And our prayer is that we would make those days, that we would make those years count. Help us, Lord, to make You our dwelling place. Help us to know what that means in each of our particular lives, where we are in our relationship with You, whether that means that we are outside of that relationship and we need to come in. We need to receive Christ. Or whether that means that we have been living with Christ for many years, yet we need to count our days and make them count. We do pray for your help. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.